Welcome to Fundamentally Drained Podcast with your hosts, Father Everett Lees, Father Tom Dahlman, and Justin Dixon. Three Christians exploring Christianity from a perspective other than the fundamental view from which we have become fundamentally drained. We'll begin the conversation, and you take it from there. Today we're going to talk about deconstruction, and um, we've already had some little bit of discussion about it, and it sounds like we may go in a couple of different directions here, but um, at this point, uh, I'd almost guess, especially if you're listening to this podcast, or a podcast at all, um, with some kind of spirituality in the Christian world, I would say that you probably have heard the word deconstruction. Uh, there's podcasts out there like The Deconstructionist, and then there is... Uh, uh, Father Richard Grohr, who talks about it, as well as in podcasts and, po- and possibly in some of his books. Um, and so we wanted to kind of talk about it a little bit and just define it and see. I wanted to hear what Everett and Tom had to share their thoughts about it, too. So um, deconstruction, let, let's just begin with um, one, the simple way of putting it, I guess, and some of those names that I just uh, ran off were... Um, deconstructing your faith and so you deconstruct it from what it was to something um, else and so um, Everett candy wrapper who's <laughs> digging for something what is your thoughts what what, do you, what is what does deconstruction mean to you well I mean so I mean in my own experience deconstructing has been something where I believed one thing, and I came to a different or deeper meeting um, as a result of spending, um, you know, spending a lot of time in reflection and thinking, talking to others, um, and coming to a new point of view. Okay. All right. Or sometimes the same point of view, but a different appreciation for oh, nice. how yep. I got there or why it's important. Right. Right. Okay. Tom? So it means a couple of things. One thing it means is, I'll use me for an example, grow up thinking one thing, kind of you're in a a tight system of belief within the denomination I grew up in, and then you learn, you're exposed to new knowledge, makes you reevaluate what you used to think. So your faith is sort of deconstructed, and then hopefully you rebuild something healthier in its place. Mm, right. and, uh, and so you have deconstruction, reconstruction. There's also the, there's also the, um, it's a, it's a form of literary criticism, deconstructionism. And so if, when applied to scripture, it's a form of biblical interpretation. It would almost say or suggest that, there can be no kind of meaning derived from the text that's um, solid because we're all so influenced by culture, language limits us, etc. So, and so that's ironic that the literary form of deconstructionism kind of says there is no answer, but most of my personal deconstructionism or deconstruction happened because 
I was taught in grad school, not through literary criticism, but historical and uh, other kinds of criticism. My goal was to arrive as near as I could to the original meaning, and then also maybe how the ancient people heard it as they heard it, you know, what they thought about it as they heard it read. It's right. kind of impossible, but so I was looking for that original meaning and learning that meaning deconstructed what I had thought before. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. So it's ironic that my personal deconstruction happened in a way that was completely opposite of the interpretation that's deconstructionism. That <laughs> so I... The most so complicated think, thing I've ever said. <laughs> and my, I would just say, like, I think in my own experience that deconstruction, like, it, it's not something that you arrive at. Okay, so I've deconstructed, you know, the meaning of the virgin birth and poof, got that done. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> but, but rather that, you know, so, okay, so here's this understanding of it. Now I've come to a new understanding. And, oh, now it impacts this other thing. And so, so faith is a series of deconstruction and then reconstruction. And we can get to this in a minute, but I mean, part of my concern is, is that there's like this niche market out there of people who just focus on deconstruction. Right. And, and reconstruction is a vital and important part um, of, of this work. All right. So both of you have broken this out and I had it down the list some. So let's go ahead and jump into it now. Um, you keep referring to deconstruction, reconstruction. So the format that has been used in uh, by Richard Rohr specifically is the one I would go to, but I have had others mention it in text and on podcast is uh, the there's three points on this scale. Let's just call it that. <laughs> um, and there is construction which is just when you are being formed, um, whether this be in faith, I'm sure this applies to many other things, but obviously we're sticking in the area of faith. So there is construction, which is your original formation. Then um, from that, uh, there is the deconstruction. And uh, if you follow a, a line, <laughs> kind of like a graph chart that goes up, construction, deconstruction goes down, and then reconstruction goes back up. And that's how I mentally see it and draw it when I talk about it. But um, So there is this original formation, and then the deconstruction is going back through that original construction and deconstructing it. And then I think as Everett is alluding to some people, sorry, <laughs> I said, I got lost. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Well, you'll pick it back up no, when I'm you joking. listen back to it. So, um, what, what you're referring to is that people, um, sometimes get stuck in a deconstruction manner and never reconstruct faith. So you mentioned right. virgin birth. We are taught that it is in the story of, you know, in the gospels and this happened the end. That's construction. That was your original formation on it. Then you started, as you deconstructed that story, you started asking questions or maybe you started learning a different point of view or whatever it may be, and that's the deconstruction. And then through that, you kind of form your own opinions and thoughts and ideas, and that's kind of reconstruction. Does that is that how you all feel it plays out? For me, um I guess that's how it could play out. For me, I think that when I was 
the first time I went through grad school, most of my thoughts were kind of torn apart. But but as I deconstructed, you mean? Yeah, deconstructed. <laughs> yes. But as I but what came back in its place was stronger than what I had before. Right. So there reconstruction. Was reconstruction. It was a it was a natural reconstruction. But exactly. Uh, well done. Well played, Tom. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, man. The the painful part about that, Everett, with your rattling over there. <laughs> I'm not rattling. I keep hearing it's a anyway. Brox. It's one of those Brox like cinnamon disc candy wrappers, and it's going. So, one of so what's painful about it is deconstruction can be systematic. So if you're, if you're learning, if you're going through seminary, for example, in an evangelical seminary, you're going to come to that typically if you have an evangelical background with pretty kind of fundamentalist views, because that's what most of us get in churches if we grew up in those areas. And then they're going to expose you to all these new ideas because that's just how education works. And it's systematic because there's a pattern to it and there's an educational, there's a curriculum that you follow. The problem is reconstruction is not systematic. It's going to happen at, based on your resources, based on your community, based on what you're reading. So it's, that part's painful, you know, and or less systematic. They're both painful processes. But I think I think I think I think deconstruct. I mean, I think that's they, awesome, that, Tom. That, well, but I would I would argue that actually um, that they're both that neither one of them are systematic. I mean, you know, your deconstruction also is dependent upon what you're reading, who you're reading, you know. So if you know, so if so so. It could be non-systematic, but if right. you do it the way I did it, I agree with you, Everett. But if you do it the but way I'm saying, I did I, it, I think for the average, I think for 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 most people out there, unless you're uh, entering into good like point. a graduate school, you're right. It's not going to be systematic. You're right. So, so my deconstruction, obviously, <laughs> since I did not go to seminary, um, was uh, what'd you say? Self? What'd you call it? Systematic. systematic, not non non systematic. Okay, yeah. Okay, so uh, sorry, Everett. I feel like I cut you off. Did you have more to say? No. Okay, Tom. That is really interesting because um, I have never heard someone call deconstruction a systematic process. Um, and that that just that kind of like that gave me a little bit of a twitch. But that's very interesting because you're you're absolutely head on where. Uh, the institution or education could be someone's deconstruction. Um, and I never thought about it like that. I don't know why, just because, you know, of course, we think about our own paths and books and podcasts and, and, and cups of coffee and conversation is where I would say, well, all <laughs> of my deconstruction sermons and so on and just, you know, experience is came from. And um, I, there's no right or wrong here, um, but that's just really I, I do think that, you know, for a lot of people in the Episcopal Church, 
in particular that education for ministry or EFM, mm. which is um, right. um, an outreach of the University of the South, um, is a lot of times in, in this church where um, deconstruction happens. I mean, I know it was the first time that I became aware that there's actually two creation stories. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, and and I mean, I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, I'm a, I'm a 20-something-year-old man and I've never, like, oh, yeah. I've never noticed this. I mean, I started the Bible reading a countless number of times. Of course, I always ended some time in Genesis, but it meant that I had That's read right. those <laughs> creation stories, like, a thousand times, and I never noticed that there were two different ones. Um, and and so I think, you know, f- my experience is, is that for many people in the Episcopal Church, education for ministry becomes that place where deconstruction begins. Right. That's a good point. That's a good point. By the way, there's three creation stories, according to Father Brian Beard. John 1 is the third one. <laughs> I don't want to throw that in there for my boy B. <laughs> so, some of us go through that deconstruction because a tragedy happens in our life. Mm. Generally, the death of a loved one or um, something. Justin, I hope that your noise filter is really good because <laughs> Everett is just. Are you playing like a game of tiddlywinks over over there? I li- like like literally. I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting at this table. Oh, this is so funny. I love it. Okay, so it's, we're gonna name it deconstruction and the cinnamon disc wrapper. And maybe it's Justin who's There's, doing it. It's probably something else, but it's just fun to blame Everett because it cracks me up. So I I'm sorry, me, Tom. <clears throat> you were saying. <clears throat> Well, it might happen because, for example, a death, or it might happen because you go to, to grad school and you're following the curriculum. Ideally, it would happen, um, or through EFM or something, ideally, you would it would kind of be a more natural process where you, you read and you grow over a longer period of time, so it's less painful, but... Um, I also think that it points to the fact that while growth is painful, it's not a ba- pain is not always a bad thing. I agree totally. Yeah, right. I I, I want to dovetail on that just a little bit because I think Tom brings up um, something that's really important. That is, is that a lot of times um, personal tragedies become um, a space or a place for deconstruction. Right. And, and, and what's, what's so painful about those is, is that frequently, it's not that necessarily that they're done outside of community, but the event is so horrible that it pushes you, like it pushes you away from faith, right? You're angry at God. And so what do you do? Well, you stop going to church. Mm. Um, and, and then you, you don't have that space um, or those resources in which to you know, reconstruct, um, your, your faith. And I have just, I mean, I've talked to, you know, numerous people who said, you know, that it was the death of a, a parent or a child or a spouse that really caused them to question God. Hmm. For some, it pushes them deeper into faith because they, you know, but for others, it pushes them away. But there are some communities where you can't do that work. 
Well, that's what I was going to say. That's another part of this is the place, the space to question. That's um, the, is that what you were yeah. saying, referring to? Yeah. there. For me, where I was at the time, I was in grad school at the same time I was newly married at the same time my dad died. So, um, and just after my dad died, I took the book of Job. I was taking wisdom literature, you know, and primarily the book of Job. And so it was a lot all at the same time. Mm. And there were, there were not room. There was not room in, in my church for those questions. Right. Um, so the only solution was to either not talk about them or leave. And that's, that's, what the answer is for a lot of people. Right. Yeah. The, the sand, the sand, the line gets drawn in the sand and, you know, you can't cross it for fear for one or that imaginary line exists. Well, and, uh, not even imaginary, but you just feel that it's there because the community maybe you're a part of just isn't, you, you know, the response, you know how they're going to respond. Just trust God, you know, God is good. And the, those those things that don't always those those sayings that don't always fit, you know, it's the square peg and the round hole thing. It's like that doesn't work here for me. And uh, so don't you know don't throw these ideas. But you you tend to when you come up against this wall, so to speak, you know the heart of the community and how your questions are going to be received. And so as you said, many people just say, "Forget it, I'm out." Right. Um, something. I Go ahead. I do think that, um, well, I lost my train of thought. Sorry, Justin. My bad. My bad. What? There, there's an interesting um, sort of thing that's been going on on Twitter. Um, the president of Union Seminary wrote an op-ed, and I think it's in the Washington Post, or probably more likely the New York Times, because Union's in New York. Anyways, in which basically, you know, she... She, she throws into the question about whether the resurrection of Jesus was a literal event versus let's talk about resurrection in terms of, you know, new life and new hope, and we'll talk about it in, in the meaning and abstract. And, and I think, from my standpoint, where I stand, there was a lot of really good pushback against a seminary, Christian seminary president, questioning whether the resurrection happened or not. And the response to it was, but there are people in the pews in the congregation who do question this. So what do you do about that? And I think that one, for people who are leaders of, Christ, of, of, of churches, there has to be generosity of those who, who are questioning, searching, doubting, wondering. Like if our communities are not safe places to question, all we're going to do is shut them out. Right. But on the flip side, I think that those who are leaders of whether you're clergy, whether you're director of, you know, Sunday formation, the youth minister, like, and this is what's hard with 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 what Tom just talked about is, is that you don't always have that space because you have a responsibility and for clergy, we've taken vows to conform to the doctrine, discipline, and worship of the Episcopal Church um, to sometimes wrestle with those things. So you have to find places outside of the ministry areas where you're responsible to wrestle with those things. Right. So 
John in First John he says there is no fear in love, and I I feel like when if you have members who are going through those things and they come to you with questions, the temptation is to give them an answer or to move them along the path and help them get through. But I feel like that is a, comes from a place of fear. You have to set aside fear, set aside the worry that uh, you're not going to be pure or something or that they're going to lose their way. Trust God that God is in the middle of the, the journey they're on and, and let them move through it and not be afraid of it in your community or as a leader in your community. And usually I found that there's room in the community for the leadership too. If, if you handle them that way, they'll handle you that way. But that could just be wishful thinking on my part. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, that'd, that'd be ideal, right? Right. And I and I think this is I mean this is where pastoral relationships are really vital in in all of this is um, that ability to to love somebody um, and walk with them and their pain and their doubt and not to shame them. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And and I think and I and I'll tell you I think it's important for people who are I mean to sit there and admit you know I mean there's there's I've gone through stages of doubt and disbelief and. Um, and that's a normal part of faith. And so, you know, people, you know, in, in the pews in the congregation need to know that, that man, they're, it's not like their clergy are just sitting there have all their stuff together. I mean, there's a lot of times I don't have my stuff together. Yep. Yes, I exist in a state of doubt and disbelief. <laughs> And um, I doubt whether this podcast really exists. <laughs> they have podcasts for that. I mean, wait. Uh, yeah, this is where we <laughs> this is where we get it out is on the podcast. Um, you know, I think that's that that actually. Um, uh, oh, there's a word I'm looking for. And I can't think of it. But that actually gives nod to the power of the spirit for me is the amount of doubt and disbelief that I go through and that fire still burns <laughs> just as hot day in and day out, it seems, uh, for me. And that's, I'm just, I'm in awe of that. It is a thing of wonder. And um, I'm so appreciative as I go through this, you know, up and down and up and down and up and down, um, that there is still this drive, this hope, um, this joy and peace that surrounds everything that is getting done. And, and so, um, anyway, okay. Um, so what I heard a minute ago and, um, <clears throat> was going back to places to where people enter into a phase of deconstruction, which I think we defined pretty well. Um, but something that came around was, um, you all mentioned deaths and, um, it sounds like it can get a kickstart from something that someone can't reconcile. Would you agree with that? Say that again. Okay. Deconstruction phase can get started um, or a deconstruction where 
on something that someone can't reconcile, the death of a uh, parent, spouse, child, uh, a catastrophe, um, something that happens that they can't reconcile with their faith. Does that sound about the idea? Yes. Mm-hmm. So At least, go ahead. yes, they're, they're understanding. I had this pretty elementary view that my that suffering was caused by the by a devil, the evil, therefore the devil, uh, and uh, and good stuff came from God. Hmm. Kind of, kind of a basic right thing that I had never really thought about or examined. Or and when I was in studying wisdom literature, you know, as I said earlier, my dad had just died. Um, it, there's this passage in Job where it says and Job you know never sinned and everything that he said concerning all the evil the Lord had brought upon him and and even if I thought the Satan and Job was the devil of the Christian scriptures then I had to reconcile with the fact that God said go for it you know remove the hedge or whatever and uh, so then I had to re- wrestle with, um, did God cause my dad to die? You know? Right. So you're exactly right. It's something that you can't reconcile what's happened to you with the view you had. And most people would probably just say, well, God sucks, you know, at that point. Because you have. Because their mind would just say, whatever I thought about God is the only view of God that there is. But for God to be God, God must be beyond our comprehension. So um, we have... And and, and I think that's where we're, you know, know, talking about deconstruction and reconstruction. I mean, this is where, like, really understanding how the Bible works and right. And so the book of Job, you know, is not a literal story about how God works. These are the people of Israel who have been exiled and they're trying to understand, you know, why, why is it that, that this is happening to them? Right. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a base question that every person of faith asks. Why, you know, why me? Um, well, I was just re- talking about how I read it as a, as an evangelical at the time, you know? Right. And I'm just saying, I mean, that's like where deconstruct, you know, like where, you know, biblical form criticism and things like that, you know, are part of a healthy deconstruction and hopefully reconstruction. Right. Uh, that it gets, that allows us to read Job in a different light. The, in, <clears throat> excuse me, the importance of being able to, uh, you, you spoke about the pastoral situation where someone is, um, coming to you with doubt or, or, you know, the, the inability to reconcile something and how important in my thoughts would be to not just as Tom said, which for me is so hard to just not give people answers. Uh, and let me rephrase that to not get, just give people what I think is, are the answers, <laughs> um, but to direct them to something. Well, you know, in the book of Job, Job, you know, experienced and so on, but directing them to something that can assist them in continuing through this time or situation, whatever it is, um, where they can have something that's comforting or maybe, look, this is in the Bible, you know, that, that, that in itself 
tends to be so powerful to people because they're like, wait a second, you know, um, the story of the resurrection and uh, it says they went up on top of the mountain. Some of them believed and some of them doubted that some of them doubted is so absolutely powerful that that is a part of our gospels in the Bible that it just sometimes blows people away because they don't expect that. Um, and so directing people down that road and say, no, look, look, look right here. This is exactly what's going on. That's the humanity, you know, the human side of the Bible. <laughs> I feel like right. I say things you guys are like, no, <laughs> sometimes. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're, uh, close to time. Um, and I actually have er, uh, some other things I want to ask and discuss. And um, so I think just to kind of wrap the first one, um, I'll actually, I'll say this and then you guys can add to it. But I think when you get into the, the can't reconcile phase or position or whatever you want to call it, I think something to for yourselves, and I think this is a conscious choice, maybe, is it's just to not give up and to find a place or a space or people who will allow you to dump, allow you to get it all out, question, talk, and go, and uh, as opposed to walking away. I, that is so much easier said than done, I know, and I apologize for that. But I think that's what's important is being amongst people who can handle, if you will, or allow the can't reconcile discussion to just even occur without giving you some cliche, you know, roll off the tongue, just lip service that can very easily happen um, that are programmed in so many, so many of of us, so many people and things like that. So that's one thought I had with this one. Any closing thoughts from you guys? Yeah. And this is, this may need to flow into part two and is that, um, I think one of the challenges in the Episcopal Church is, is that we do a really great job in making space for questions. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes you also have to provide answers. Mm -hmm. um, I was sort of laughing and joking um, with a, a, a friend that Tom and I have, and um he said, you know, if people come to his community, because he's in sort of an evangelical church, if people come to his community, um, they're not allowed to have questions. And I kind of joked in, in response, well, people come to the Episcopal Church and some feel like they're not allowed to have answers. <laughs> um, and, and, I, and I think that's something that the Episcopal Church really needs to, to, to grapple with in our desire to be you know, welcoming of, of questions, um, at the core of it, we still have to be able, be able to articulate what we believe and why it's important. But it, isn't that all of that on page like 869 or something like that for us to look at? <laughs> Sorry. Well, the cat, the what, <laughs> one, 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 one would think. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I admit I have to go back there sometimes because <laughs> I'll get lost out in outer space in the space of thought and uh, doubt and disbelief. And I'll venture back there just to put myself back on the track. 
<laughs> Tom, any final thoughts? Um, just welcome to the journey of faith. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll continue this on the next episode. Thank you for listening, and may the peace of the Lord be always with you. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at at FunDrainPod. We'd love to hear your comments on our episodes and also suggest future episode topics. Also, if you enjoy what we're doing, go on to iTunes and give us a review, please. Thanks a lot.